Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. It has been a delight to go through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm excited for chapter 8 today. So the search for meaning, Solomon's search for meaning. Ecclesiastes means the preacher, and uh, throughout we see him being called the preacher, and the preacher at the end of his search gathers a group and gives them this word, basically. It's kind of the idea behind the book of Ecclesiastes. I've searched this world, and I'm going to tell you now what I have discovered. And so we're in chapter 8. And uh, because it's post-Thanksgiving now, it's time for Christmas shopping. And the illustration that I'm about to give you is going to be a big help to you, so listen up. Um, Have you seen those little couches in the mall, in the walkways there? Those are a lifesaver, okay? Those are wonderful. Um, (laughs) The men are saying amen. See, now here's, here's the reason I say that this morning is because I love my wife. But I do not have the mental capacity to comprehend the shopping skills of a woman, okay? I just do not possess it. My wife moves through clothing stores. Uh, I've, 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 been, I've, been a, I've, I've studied women in, uh, in, in Marshalls, you know, and how they shop and how it goes, because I'm standing there not doing very much in the clothing stores. They move like a SWAT team moves through a house, they have elite level precision movements throughout the store. And l- listen, if you watch them, watch, they will go through the aisles. They will be able, with, out of the peripheral, avoid one another, move swiftly by scanning all the clothing, racks and racks of clothing. And at the same time, they are processing at warp speed in their mind every person that they know and every person they're shopping for. And they're watching to see what they could get for all those people on the list. It is absolutely amazing what they can do. Um, and she'll th- she thinks about what their likes and dislikes are, colors and not colors. And I mean, it's just, it's just va- vast beyond any capabilities that I possess. So when, when I'm in the clothing store for more than 10 minutes, I feel like my soul is being sucked out of me. I feel like I'm about to pass out my legs begin to hurt. I just need to lay down or sit down or something. And so we've discovered that the best thing for our marriage and everything, our relationship, is for me to either go sit on one of those couches out in the mall if we're there, or b- better yet, go out in the car and take a nap in the car. So, <clears throat> and I sit there with the old men and they can, <laughs> I, I know what's going on. But here's the point I'm trying to make this morning. I love my wife. But, but I can love her and not understand her simultaneously, okay? Her ways are not my ways. Her thoughts are not my, my thoughts, saith Luke. I, I, but, but I don't let that stop me from loving her and trusting her. And I know I can hand her the reins and she's going to get everybody, uh, p- something purchased for everybody. She's great at what she does. We can love God. And simultaneously not understand how or why he does what he does. God controls the entire world. He is sovereign. And my job is to let him do his job 
and to go take a nap. <laughs> and that is my theme this morning. Don't stress about the things that God controls. Go take a nap. Let God be God. This is one of the major themes, actually, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is pure wisdom. And if we learn this wisdom, it will free us from so much worry, so much stress. Let God be God. Last chapter, we saw that because we're all sinners, we must have wisdom from outside of us. We cannot uh, rely or we can't trust the wisdom that we just work up from our own heart because we are born sinners. So if we're going to have wisdom for this life, it has to come from outside of us. It has to come from God. And this verse in chapter 8 finishes that thought as we begin to move into a new uh, thought behind that wisdom. So look at what happens when we receive God's wisdom. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Who is as the wise man? And who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. It's amazing how having God's wisdom even changes the external features of a person. God says here, Solomon notices, that it makes people's face to shine. And, it, and it, the boldness or the strength of their face is changed. You know, when you're settled in your heart with the right perspective in life, when, you have, when you've got that, when you've got God's wisdom kind of resting inside of you, and you're secure in that and you know it, it just brightens you. You're not as stressed. You're not as worried. You, things just kind of roll off you a little bit more, and it just gives you strength. Um, can I, now, can I describe what it looks like to have a shiny face, as it says here? No, I can't describe the outward appearance, maybe, but you know it when you see it. Let, let, let me take a case study for just a minute. I think it's going to help us. Daniel. The, the Daniel in the Bible, the Bible says that this young man had wisdom and he had a bright face. Look at Daniel chapter 1 and verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Now you remember, Daniel made an appeal and uh, ate uh, what God told him to eat, and so he, um, he and everybody else ate the king's meat, and when they came back, Daniel had a brightness about his countenance. His face was different. There was just something more healthy about Daniel because of his wisdom. Look at verse 16 and 17. I'm going to read several verses together here now. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. Or vegetables. Verse 17, For as for these four children... That is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God gave them, looks, listen to this, knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among all them was not found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. So now we're talking about Daniel here and his wisdom. God gave him something that was ten times better than any of the wise people that Nebuchadnezzar had around him. God made these young men stand out even at a very young age. 
Now, the amazing thing about Daniel is that wisdom began to just then open doors for him. He had favor with every king in his life, throughout his whole life, five of them to be exact. Now, Daniel is a shining example of those of us who live in our own little Babylons. Um, we can use Daniel's life, I think, to, to help us know how to live in this crazy world that we live in. And as we read the following verses, I think it really helps if we have somebody like Daniel in the back of our mind as sort of that application, that wise person to kind of relate to some of these things as we look at them. So let's look at now a wise person, someone who has God's perspective and see how they respond to the government. That's what we're going to first see in this first part of the chapter. Verse one or verse two, I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment and that in regard of the oath of God. Bottom line, Solomon says, when it comes to the government, a wise person in the government, and that is to obey the king. Just simply obey the king. That's the general rule for the child of God. There are a few exceptions, but only a few. Scripture speaks of the times, you know, we, uh, in Romans chapter 13, for example, when we went through that chapter, you can go back and maybe listen to that uh, on a podcast or something like that. We went through Romans chapter 13 and went to this a little more detail but there are times when civil disobedience is allowed by God in Scripture. For example, when they ask us to go against God's commandments. But the general rule for us in government, no matter what government we're in, is to obey the king. Just simply obey the king. Even if you don't like the law, obey the king. Primarily, Solomon says, because of the oath of God. Now, there's two things he could be talking about here. One is perhaps it's the oath that the king, the Jewish king, would take before God uh, as being when he becomes the king. Or it's referring to the oath of loyalty that a subject or a courtier, somebody who's in the court of the king, who serves and works for the king, uh, the oath that he would make to the king made before God. Either way, really, when you boil it down, the point is this. God's telling us to obey the king, not just for the king's sake, but for God's sake. You're doing it for the Lord. Daniel served five kings, and some of them were big jerks. But Daniel kept the king's commandment. Why? He kept obeying the king, kept obeying the king for the Lord's sake, because of the oath of God. See, you, you and I, we have the power to rebel. We have the power to go against the king, but, you're, but we are going to purposely go or submit to the king for the Lord's sake. In the New Testament, Paul used a phrase that is so powerful, he called it obeying as unto Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5, another, talking about another kind of authority that we might have in our life, servants, he said. Now this we could equate to like our bosses at work. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. If you have a jerk for a boss, remember that you're obeying, you're following, you're doing what they say, not for them, but for Christ, as unto Christ. He even used this idea when it came to marriage. Paul used the same phrase, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Listen, your husband may not be Mr. Perfect. In fact, he's not. But you're not submitting for him. You're doing it as unto the Lord. I have any of you that have been through the love and respect 
classes, he, he does it so well. He's so wise and helps us see it in this way. He says, imagine that you are, if, if, you're, if you're required to submit to someone in some way because God has established some kind of authority, then what you need to do is you need to see Jesus on the other side of the person. Look, so you look over their, your authority's shoulder and you see Jesus back there. And so every time you look and I need to submit, I'm submitting to Jesus and you're there and so I'm doing it for you but I'm also more importantly doing it as unto the Lord. And this is why we need to remain good citizens and obey the laws of the land because, and even sometimes of a wicked nation or a wicked governor or a wicked president or whoever it may be, we must obey because we're doing it as unto the Lord and not necessarily unto men. But verse 3, Solomon goes on to talk about obeying the king now. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. So don't be quick to break loyalty from the king and leave and walk out on the king because you could be standing in an evil thing and not realize it. See, there are times when you want to yell at your boss and you want to, you know, quit in a blaze of glory. You know, I'm out of here. I'm done. But if you're hasty, if you're quick to do that, you could be doing an evil thing. Even if you think you're right, even if you're in that moment, you think this is the right thing, I, this is a holy war, I'm out of here. Hold on a second, don't be quick to run out. The timing and the method could be wrong, even evil. Notice that it says, be not hasty. Now that implies that there may be a time that you do need to leave the king's side, but don't be quick to do it. Don't be quick with that kind of a, a decision. It is a big thing that you need to consider. Some people walk out as soon as something rubs them the wrong way. They don't like what's, how somebody treated them. They don't like what the boss said. I'm out of here. But Solomon is saying, I'm telling you this really for your own protection. Look at the end of the verse. The king can do whatever he pleases. Um, if you tick off the king, if you tick him off with your insubordination, even if you think you're in the right, watch out. So now what God is saying is here, you're not just obe obeying for the Lord's sake, but you're also obeying and you're following for your own skin's sake, <laughs> for your own sake. Because, verse 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, who, what doest thou? So you mess with the king and you're messing with massive power that you have no control over. And there are too many people, or there, excuse me, there are not too many people who will hold a king accountable. Not too many people who are brave enough to go up to the king and say, hey, king, why are, why, why are you chopping that guy's head, head off? What, what are you doing there? Uh, the whole idea here behind all that Solomon is saying is be a good citizen. Be a good employee. If I've learned one thing throughout all my searching is, yeah, you may not understand. Yeah, you may not be in an ideal situation, but just be a good citizen. Be a good employee, be, uh, in, be, be subordinate, be, be submissive, and God will take care of you. Do it for the authority's sake, do it for God's sake, and do it for your own sake. And then verse 5, whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. And a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. See, generally speaking, we obey earthly authority and you won't face bad consequences. That's just the general rule. Um... But notice how a wise person deals with authority. They do it with discernment. 
he, he or she, if you're under authority and if you're trying to be wise, you're always trying to discern. You're trying to read the situation and specifically you're discerning timing and judgment or what is right. So you're trying to determine what the best timing for things is and what's right in a, in a given situation. And it, that takes a lot of effort and thought and prayer to do this. You know, I've noticed um, just in uh, the longer you're with and you're working in a, an environment with people and everybody works with people in some fashion or some way, I sometimes am blown away. I, I come back away and I think, it is so, there's, I spend so much time and effort and thought, um, thought energy trying to form the right words to say to people on a daily basis. I, I don't want to, you know, have foot and mouth disease. <laughs> you know, I don't want to just blast people. I want to be wise. I want the timing to be right. I want to say the right things. And if you just think about how much t- time you spend with your coworkers trying to say the right exact things, it's a lot of energy. And, but that is what a wise person does. We're trying to discern the timing, the, the good judgment. See, sometimes with a situation with a boss, you have to give them a minute. And either he'll change in, in time or you'll find that his decision proved to be better than you thought. So give it some time. Don't be hasty to run out. Sometimes you need to come in, though, and make a wise appeal, like Daniel did. And sometimes that's the better, the better thing to do. That's, that's good judgment. Sometimes a soft answer will turn away wrath. Sometimes good character, just doing the right thing over a really long period, works on the heart of your boss, and God begins to do something you didn't even know he could do. And then, sometimes, though, it, it's time to leave a company. And you can do it in a good and res- right and respectful way. The point is here that is don't rush to judgment. A wise person is discerning. He discerns time, he discerns judgment, and he's very careful. Verse six and seven now. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. For he knoweth not that which shall be. For who can tell him when it shall be? In other words, Solomon's saying here that there is a right time and a right method to do certain things, but it's so challenging, it's a misery uh, that's great upon us, it's challenging and it's complicated for us to discern those things because we don't know the future. And that is the biggest issue here. And this is why things get so complicated and decisions are tough. If you knew that the king was going to die next week, then you would just wait things out and not worry about how bad things are. Hey, big deal, I can, I can deal with anything for a week. I can deal with anything for a month. If you knew that your boss was leaving the company and you were gonna get a promotion uh, the next month, then you'd be content to wait things out. But life doesn't work like that, and we all understand that. We don't know the future. We don't know what's coming. And so that is just one of the miseries of life, as he says, and that will never change, and we have to accept that, and so we need to be as discerning as possible and as wise as possible. Therefore, so we're always making now this evaluation of time and judgment with the information that we have, but there's something that even makes it more complicated. Verse eight, there is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. 
Life is even more complicated, Solomon says. He's gone through this search, and I'm telling you guys, he says, I'm telling you folks, I'm, I've gathered you here, I've gone through this search. You can go through life, and because we don't know things, life is, more, is so complicated, and especially complicated because you don't know when you will die. No one can retain, as it says here, or hold on, that means to hold on or imprison his spirit. Your spirit is going to leave your body at one day, and you can't hold it back. No one has the power to just hold on and, and avoid death. Death, as it says here, is a war that with no discharge. You can't get out of it. Everyone is a soldier in this fight. Someday you will fight this fight with death, and there's no getting out of it. It is inescapable. And certainly, as he says here at the end, wickedness is not going to help you escape. So, what did Solomon learn from all of, the, all of this? I'm trying to discern. I don't know the future. I need to be submissive. What is Solomon learning? Verse 9. All this have I seen and applied my heart unto every work that is done under the sun. There is a time wherein one man ruleth over another to his own hurt. Now, I believe Solomon is saying here that a after looking at all of this, I realize that sometimes a king or a powerful authority will rule with a heavy hand and oppress the people under him. So they're trying to deal with how, you know, know how to deal with things and submit to that authority. But if we flip it now and look at the king's end, he, the king, is doing it to his own hurt. And the following verses, I think, explain that in more detail. Verse 10. And so I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy, and they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. This is also vanity. So this wicked man, this man with authority and power, uh, who lived a wicked life, who was harsh on people, who was not a good boss, he was buried. So, which means that people did give him a traditional honorary burial. But, we see here in this verse that he was a hypocrite. He came in and out of the place of the holy. He was a wicked person, but he came in and out of the holy place, the, God's house. Which means he wasn't truly honored because then, as it says, he was forgotten in the city. They quickly, people quickly forgot him after he died because they knew he was wicked. He was a hypocrite. People were actually happy this guy was gone. No one was made better by his life. No one, was, no one appreciated that, uh, the things that he gave to the world because they weren't good. No one respected him as a role model. No one, his life was a waste. A man with all of this, and yet he, he wasted his life. The point is, it may have seemed like this guy ended on top. But if you look closer... Did he really? But here's the problem. We want God to give guys like that their just punishment while they're still here on this earth. We don't like it that God waits until they die and he gets an honorary burial and he gets all of that good stuff and then God's going to take care of him later. We don't like that. We want to see swift justice. We don't like this stuff that we see around here where the good guys lose. If the boss messes with me, Lord, please take him out as soon as possible. And Lord, here, I have a few ideas in case you need some thoughts about how to take him out. If someone cuts me off in tra traffic, Lord, <laughs> you know what to do. <laughs> Here's some nails, Lord, in case you need to. Uh, but, but justice 
as we all know in this world, often comes slowly. Look at verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. See, we all understand that principle that Solomon is talking about here. Because God doesn't typically bring the hammer down immediately on people, uh, then everybody starts to think that they're getting away with something. And they just, guess what? They set their heart even more on evil. They fully set it. And they just do more and more and more and more. We look around and we see, look at all this that's happening. Look at this bad stuff that we keep continue to see and it just keeps getting worse. And the reason is God, because you're not striking them dead. And honestly, that's a true statement in many ways. So it makes us wonder why God isn't more swift in punishing evil. And that's what Solomon says. I, I, listen, one of the observations is you go under the sun, you're gonna find out very quickly is it doesn't, it's just not tit for tat. I like, you know, you're waiting for a lightning bolt to hit every single person every, every time someone disobeys. And by the way, I don't think we all want that. Why doesn't, and God, why don't you stand over people and slap their hand at every infraction, every time something is done? Why, why aren't you just standing there? God, that, that, that seems just. That seems like justice to me. But I like what Tommy Nelson said. I'm going to put it up here for you. To, it's a powerful quote here. If every consequence was immediate, life would be a self-centered pursuit of your own interests. Think about that. If every consequence was immediate, life would be a self-centered pursuit of your own interests. God wants our life to be about love between us and him. We obey him because we love him. And we let God worry about the relationship between sowing and reaping. God is going to give back. God is going to be just and we have to put that all in God's hand. This is wisdom. I'm putting all of this, all of this injustice, all this stuff that seems wrong, I'm putting that in your hand, Lord. And I'm letting you handle it. I'm just gonna love you. I'm just gonna follow you. And God certainly will, by the way, take care of all of that. Look at this verse 12. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. Solomon now breaks from the under, the under the sun thinking. He goes above the sun for this. He shows some eternal thinking here. And he shows God's wisdom. A sinner may continue doing the same thing a hundred times over. And it seems like his life is going well. It seems like his days are prolonged. God's not having any problem. He's just letting it go. But he knows something. He knows something. His, uh, this is what Solomon knows without a doubt. In the end, it's always better for the person who fears God. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon says, I know that it will be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. Notice the double emphasis there. He says it twice. Fear fear God and fear before him. In in Hebrew, that's always, it's, it's trying to get us to see it twice. It's a double emphasis that fears God, that fears God. Do you want it to be well with you in the long run? then fear the Lord, God says. A great definition of the fear of the Lord, there are many good ones. I like this one that I read this week. The awe and holy caution that arises from realization of the greatness of God. The awe and holy caution that arises from realization of the greatness of God. And when you have that inside of you, uh, when you are, have reverence for God, 
It's not that I'm scared he's gonna strike me dead. It's the awe and holy caution that just it kind of is inside of you. It's a, it's a conscience thing. You know this is hurting the heart of God. This is not what I want to do. It's displeasing to God. And if you have that inside of you, it is a sign that you are a believer. Because a person who doesn't believe can't fear someone he doesn't believe in. So those who reverence, those who honor, fear the Lord from their heart, Solomon says those are the people who are gonna come out on top in the end. But what about the wicked who do not fear the Lord? Verse 13, but it shall not be well with the wicked. Neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Again, I believe Solomon is primarily speaking about after death here. But we know that there are often consequences here on earth as well. We know that. You live, you live a wicked life, you're going to pay for it even here sometimes, just, there, just as there are rewards here on earth for living in the fear of God. But the point here is don't get so caught up in the seemingly unfairness of this whole thing. That's what Solomon's trying to get us to do. Remember what the psalmist said when he started thinking this whole thing was unfair? Psalm 73 and verse three, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And then verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. God, why, this is painful, God. Why are you letting this happen? And then verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. When you go and you get closer to the Lord, when you, when you begin to see things as God sees things, when you begin to get God's wisdom and you go into the house of God, you begin to see some above the sun thinking, some eternal thinking, and you realize the end, the end, it's about the end. If you ever start to envy the foolish, look at the end. Wise people look at the end of a matter and are not so wrapped up into who's winning, who looks like they're winning right now. Verse 14, the next few verses conclude this thought. There is a vanity which is done upon the earth, that there be just men, that is righteous men, unto whom it happeneth according to the work of the wicked. Again, there be wicked men to whom it happeneth according to the work of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. He's, I mean, look around you. Righteous men are being tr treated like wicked men. And wicked men are being treated like righteous men. But we can't focus on what it looks like right now. We have to be wise. The game isn't over yet. It may look like they're winning, but keep focused on what the coach has said until the end. And we will win. That's what Solomon is saying here. I looked into the history of the, the saying... Um, it's not over till the fat lady sings. <laughs> I probably shouldn't even talk about that one, but anyway, uh, it was a writer in San Antonio back in the 70s, and he was, t he was a sports writer, and he was just writing. It's not over. The opera's not over until the fat lady sings, and that's, that's kind of the idea here. Listen, don't, it's not over. It's not over. The game isn't over yet. The game isn't over. And how does God want us to live in this time? Verse 15, then I commended mirth. So what do we do right now? Solomon says, I commended mirth. Because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labors the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. Now, this is not an encouragement to fleshly living. He, he already has said, just a few verses ahead, fear God. Those who fear God are the ones who God blesses. So, there are boundary lines that God has set up um, within all of this. But, having said that, it is absolutely 
telling us to enjoy life in light of all the things that we can't control. Do not live a depressed existence because the, because the good guys appear to be losing and the bad guys appear to be winning. Do not get depressed about that. Let God handle all of that. Learn to be fine with not knowing and not understanding why God does all that he does. We keep coming back to this principle in Ecclesiastes. Fear God, but enjoy life as a gift. Fear God, but enjoy life as a gift. Fear God, but enjoy life as a gift from God. And that's why I'm, I'm honestly, I'm so glad I get to keep saying it because we need to hear it. Stay in God's boundaries, but have another scoop of ice cream. That's what I'm trying to say this morning. Enjoy your family. Laugh with each other. Go on vacation. Make memories. Have some creature comforts in your life. God wants you to enjoy this life. Really. But just keep loving and obeying God while you do all of that. And we're gonna, this, this, is, this can, keeps coming up over and over again. Under the sun, God wants you to live that way. Don't lose sleep over things that are God's business, like rewarding good and punishing evil. That's his job. Verse 16, when I applied mine heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night seeth sleep with his eyes. And he says, no, he's saying some people lose sleep over this seeming injustice. You know, why aren't people getting, getting punished? It's just bothering me so much, I losing sleep. Solomon says, stop that. So Solomon reminds us, verse 17, then I beheld all the work of God that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because though a man labor to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, farther, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. See, if you're wise, you'll get to the place where you kick back in the chair, let go of the worries of why everything is the way it is and why God's letting everything just happen the way it's happening. Listen, pray if you don't like something. Pray if you don't like something. If there's something you can't control, there's something, then ask the Lord, Lord, would you change this situation? Oh God, would you change? And keep praying, keep asking. But you have to remember, let God be God and accept his sovereignty with peace in our heart. Stay out of God's business is the point I'm trying to say. Stay out of God's business and go take a nap. Go take a nap. I cannot understand my wife. I don't understand how she does what she does. But I just love her and I can go take a nap in the car. You can't understand how God works. You do not know what he can, how he does all the things that he does. Even a wise man, it says, you can think to know it and you will not be able to find it out. So go take a nap. Go enjoy life. Just rest in that God has this thing handled. I love this book of the Bible. I really do. And I'm so thankful for what God gives us. Lord, we trust you. We, thank you. we hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.